0: and welcome to Travel Size Marketing Guide, a digital marketing podcast presented to you by yours Digitally. If you don't know us, we are a digital transformation agency with laser focus on research, strategy and consumer insight-based marketing that skyrockets your ROI. In this podcast we'll be traversing through the land of actionable tips and tricks, courtesy of highly esteemed guests, Who are veterans in the field of marketing? So, if you are just starting out your business, working on your marketing career, or are a seasoned marketing professional, we have something for everyone. I am your host Priyanka Mandhyan. With over three years of experience in digital marketing, I am looking for a way, just like you, to improve my knowledge in the trade from madmen. Currently, I'm the marketing head at Yours Digitally. I'll occasionally be joined by my colleague, Sir Lagna Choudhury, who will be co hosting the podcast. So, without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Today, we are very excited to have with us Siddharth Sharath Kumar, who we also lovingly call Sid. So Sid has over four years of experience in B2B product marketing. He has worked as a product evangelist at the software giant Zoho Corporation. And here he has regularly presented to IT audiences and uh, during industry events across the globe. And as an occupational hazard, he has actually traveled to over 30 cities along the way. So we're really looking forward to hearing some fun travel stories. In this role, he has also authored many, many articles and ebooks to drive visibility. And he has also run many lead generation campaigns on digital media while also nurturing them by hosting webinars. He is also an incoming mba candidate at the marshall school of business at usc so siddharth a a lot of congratulations for that i'm sure it took a lot of hard work and he is also currently taking up freelance marketing strategy projects particularly focusing on go-to market and content development strategies so we're very excited to have you and we are so sure that you're the you're you're the perfect choice for our episode for today which is on content and analytics and how to leverage both for growth so what would you like to say how are you doing and um how would you like to start us off today
1: hey priyanka i'm doing good um thank you so much for having me uh, i'm really excited to be speaking about um some of these uh, topics around content and analytics because um it is um, an area that I've worked on for a few years um, and also really excited to be doing this with um, you know my future classmates so thank you so much for having me uh, and I hope that this uh, this goes well
0: I'm pretty sure it will go well because I I mean all the offline conversations that I've had with you we've both exchanged some pretty interesting ideas and I'm hoping we do that on the podcast today as well um, Yep. Yeah. okay so first of all I would really I have had this nagging question in my mind um and i really want to ask you so since you worked with a lot of b2b product marketing um can you tell us what's the most common concern businesses have when it actually comes to content marketing
1: okay um so i think a lot of companies get overly concerned about the digital marketing side of things and even when they talk about content and, you know, are developing and running content marketing campaigns, I think they focus way too much on the digital marketing aspect of things, which is to say that, how can I leverage more channels to drive traffic? Um, and, and something that I found uh, interesting um, that really intrigued me, uh, and I think is very relevant to the topic of discussion, uh, was that I went on Google Trends, uh, which is something I love doing, And I compared the popularity of the search terms, content marketing and digital marketing, right? So you can also do this. You can just go on Google Trends and just compare the popularity of different search terms. And what I found was that when it comes to um, these two search terms, digital marketing is way more popular than content marketing. Meaning, you know, this is, of course, this is just anecdotal. But I think what happens is that businesses are only thinking more about digital marketing and how can I get more people to see my content and less about how can I really provide great content to keep them engaged. And I think that this approach ends up hurting marketing efforts because when marketing teams then use analytics to optimize their conversions or qualified leads of their campaigns, they're thinking only about the issue from a digital marketing standpoint, where they're essentially saying, oh, maybe my SEO was directing the wrong audience to my website, or maybe the channel that I used for my digital ad was ineffective. And they end up barking up the wrong tree most of the time because they seldom think that, hey, maybe my content is in fact the problem. Right. So whenever campaigns aren't performing well enough, there is a lot of focus on the digital marketing analytics and marketing teams seem less concerned about analyzing and improving the content on their web pages. Right.
0: So when you look at
1: you know, some of these industry trends and study the average bounce rate and related metrics, and we'll get into that into that in a few minutes, you'll see that these statistics like bounce rate is so high and we've gotten so used to accepting that as the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it really means is that companies are driving in a lot of traffic and that's great, but they aren't doing enough to make most of the traffic stay. Right. So here is where I think focusing on a blend of content and analytics can help take your marketing efforts to, to the next level. And, and that is why today's podcast is really about content analytics. It's really about using analytics to gauge how effective our content is and also then guide us on tweaking our content for better performance in the future.
0: Right. And it's so interesting that you say that Sid is because I feel that um, analytics is a very big part of strategy, especially content strategy. And I think that one of the major mistakes that i have seen in my um in my time as a digital marketer is that a lot of people don't focus on spending time and actually charting out a strategy they'll just you know um start off they'll be like okay we'll start a facebook page we'll start a twitter we'll start an instagram and we'll just start posting content but what really is the purpose of the content and i think that's very that's a very important point that you've actually highlighted to to us that you know what is the purpose of the content who are you trying to talk to who what are their interests what are they really concerned about what would they like to hear from your company and i think that's one of the biggest things that um at this point companies need to work on i feel especially in the startup culture because it moves so fast and all the activities have to sort of go towards ROI, you know, uh, making investors happy, getting profits, and we all get stuck with all those numbers. And we don't realize how we're providing value to the customers and we're not spending time on actually strategizing it sort of gets backpedaled because other ROI generating activities become more important. So, this, I mean, we, everyone needs to realize that content strategy is really a game plan for the long run and analytics is uh, and getting insights from analytics actually is, is a very big part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so what, what according to you though, is the ideal content development and analysis process and what type of content do you think works best?
1: Okay, Um, so we can break this down into, let's say, five steps, okay? So the first step would be to identify the content and identify the content that the target audience is looking for and developing that content that resonates with your audience, Okay. okay? The second step would be to actually leverage different channels to reach the audience, and we'll not get into that because that is more of a digital marketing function, The third step would be to make the audience stay by keeping them engaged, which is to say that get them to take the next step, which may be anything from sharing the post or subscribing to a newsletter or requesting a callback. The next step, the fourth step would be to follow up with the interested leads via email or any other relevant channel. Mm -hmm. And the fifth step is to constantly review the performance using analytics and keep making appropriate changes um, in, in what would be a reiterative uh, process. So uh, essentially, when we talk about these different steps, right. the two steps where analytics can really help is in making sure that the content is engaging, which was which was the third step, which is once someone has reached your website, you want them to stay for as long as you can. And you can use analytics to see how well engaged they are. And the second area where analytics can help is in actually when you follow up with interested leads via email, you can gauge the response of how well are your leads engaging with the content you are sending them so that you can see if um, your conversion uh, process is effective. Right? Right. So. You, to, to just summarize that, um, you, the, the first step was you develop, you identify and develop the right kind of content for the audience. The second step was you ran some campaign, uh, digital marketing ads and, and whatnot, and you brought them to your website. And the next step was to keep them engaged in your website. And the next, the step after that was to keep them engaged via email or you know off once they leave your website after leaving their um, details Um, and analytics is really helping you in those last two stages to make sure that the content you're delivering to um, your audience is actually working so which brings us to the question of what content works best Um, and and in my experience i had a colleague um, who would worked in this industry for for, um, almost three decades um, doing something similar to what I was doing on presenting about um, IT solutions to, um, uh, to, to IT managers across the globe. Right. And, and he told me this one line that really stuck with me, uh, which was, don't try to sell your product, but rather offer a solution to a problem. Right. right? So, and I found that to be really powerful in the way I went about developing content, because we need to give the audience that feeling of, aha, this is exactly what I was looking for, mm-hmm. you know? So, and and I used to give this, this rather silly example to, um, to to some of the marketers that I worked with on, on how to go about developing content. Um, so just, just imagine that we are running a small business, a chain of stores that sells organic fruits and vegetables and smoothies Um, and if we were to market this brand um, there would essentially be two ways we could do it Uh, one of them being saying that you know we are the best we have the best organic produce we have high quality ingredients Mm -hmm. um, you know we, we simply have the best fruits and vegetables that are or a second way to go about this would be to you know think about what kind of people might actually come to us in terms of Who might our audience be? And maybe we find that, oh, maybe um, people who, you know, want to manage their weight are interested in trying out some of these exotic um, fruits and berries. And we might now want to develop a marketing campaign around something like, you know, five berries or fruits that can help you achieve your weight goals. And then when our target audience is actually you know, searching on the internet for a solution to their problem, wherein they're trying to identify such fruits and berries, they end up stumbling on our page, on our article, and they go, aha, this is exactly what I was looking for. Right. Right. Or it could be that it could be an other set of people who maybe have always wanted to, you know, try out some of these exotic fruits, but have refrained from doing so because they tend to be a little pricey. So maybe we have a campaign around five cost effective or cheap fruits that you can add to your diet right away. And then this, target audience of people who weren't buying because they they just thought this was going to be too expensive for them. Maybe they were just searching for, you know, I want to find something that is affordable, fruits that are healthy, that I can afford. Mm -hmm. And then they stumble upon our campaign. They might again go, aha, this is exactly what I was looking for. right? Right? So this this way of marketing um, is, is what uh, is what we refer to as evangelizing, where we are—we are not really, you know, being salesy and saying that, oh, buy our products; we have the best products. But we are trying to understand what is it that our customers are looking for, mm-hmm. and then providing them content that can actually help them with their evaluation. So we are actually helping them by saying, hey, you know, these fruits. Could be good for you. Why don't you read more about it? And then the customer is like, "Oh, these raspberries and blueberries and strawberries uh, look look like they are good for me." And that might, uh, you know, initiate them to actually now come and buy these fruits from you. And I think this this can extend even to a B two B context of you know selling different kinds of products. Uh, wherein rather than just saying that, oh, we have the best in class product, you actually give a solution to the problem that your customer is trying to solve. And right. that in turn, by reading that content, they they are more engaged and they start to trust your brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, especially about the part about, um, you know, providing a solution to your customer regarding the problem that they are facing because what i've observed recently is that a lot of people are going for brands or products that really stand for a purpose you know that really stand for something i was just recently actually watching a show on netflix called the bold type i'm sure a lot of people um, have been watching that show recently um so it's about this magazine house and um it's loosely based on the Cosmopolitan magazine and they talk about, you know, the employees there, the writers and how they are so driven by everything and how they have such a loyal customer base only because they stand for women and feminism and they actually, you know, promote um, themselves as, you know, the good kind of feminists because there could be many types of feminists, right? So they'll even call on some of the feminists who you know who are actually not um living up to the word per se um so basically what i figured from that was that people were loyal to that because they were really loving the kind of content that was coming out of um you know a very proper brand promise a very proper brand strategy and a very proper brand positioning so i feel like You know, sorting out your brand positioning at the very beginning is a very good strategy i would say and in fact paper boat is doing something like that they always wanted to promote nostalgia and having to go back and you know look back on some of the amazing drinks you used to have as kids whether it was kokam sharbat or like coconut water or lime juice you know you just enjoyed something that your mom and your, or your grandmom or someone in your neighborhood made for you and they actually that actually comes through in their content so well. And that's why so many people relate to the brand. So um, also from a B2B perspective, I think HubSpot is doing really well in this. Um, So recently what happened with HubSpot was that um, I was going through their website and I actually came across their vision statement and one line from their vision statement actually really stood out to me. So it said that businesses can grow with a conscience and succeed with a soul and that really hit home wow. with me yeah it's it's amazing because if businesses think of themselves as um, change makers in the society and um, have a real purpose and they are actually solving real problems just like you said um there will never be a problem attracting customers and um i saw that with hubspot i mean um I was checking out a lot of their content, and they sent me an email saying that, "Hey Priyanka, we see that you're checking out a lot of our content on our website. Um, if you would like, we could set up a free trial for you. And if you're not interested, we'll stop following up after three emails." You know, and um, they actually also demonstrated the product, saying that this is how our automated emails work. We actually can see Uh, that you're yeah we can actually see that you're interested in the content and then we send you an email and if you don't respond we send you two follow-ups automatically through our system and if you don't respond to those as well we just stop which is great because if someone is not interested they don't want to be spammed right and that's exactly the nail in the head that hubspot hit they recognize that customers don't want to be spammed and they gave the warning beforehand itself while also very well um you know um showcasing their product and how it works so i i feel like this is something that businesses need to be keeping in mind
1: oh yeah absolutely and i think the hubspot example really um highlights how you know when you show the audience that hey this is what you know this is what you need um and and you as a potential buyer of HubSpot would get to see that this is how the product can solve your problem rather than HubSpot going, you know, all about maybe how they are the best or, you know, they, um, you know, and, and maybe by doing that, they might have alienated you, uh, right. but this way they've actually, you know, gotten some um, brownie points and build that trust with you.
0: Definitely. So um, I'm curious how exactly does analytics help content marketers um, to actually come to the conclusion about what content is working best and what are some of the KTIs that all business owners and marketers should definitely look into? They should have it on their radar.
1: Okay, Um, so I think um, there are certain important questions that analytics can help you answer. Uh, The first being, are the right people coming in to my website? That is, is my target audience actually finding my content? And then it can help us answer how well are they engaging with the content? And then are they interested enough to want more? Meaning, are they willing to, um, you know, maybe like we had discussed earlier, are they willing to fill up a form to give their details for a callback or subscribe to a newsletter? And finally, are they continuing to engage with me when I follow up via email or some other channel? Right. So over the life cycle of a campaign, these, the answers to these questions can change. And that is why daily monitoring of these metrics is key. Mm-hmm. And, and that brings us to the second part of your question, which is what are the metrics to actually watch out for? So let's consider a simple example of a web page that you are trying to direct users to, Uh, and this could be anything from an article or an ebook or a video or an on-demand webcast, it could be anything. And and typically you'll have some call to action that you'd like the visitor to do. And like we said, it could be filling up a form to subscribe to a newsletter or or whatever your defined objective was. Uh, So we can split the metrics into two parts. The first part has to do with, you know, the actual inbound traffic. And the, the first metric that you want to see is the number of visits. So that is an absolute number of how many people actually came in. But that by itself is pretty meaningless. So the second thing that you want to go in and see is what is the average time spent on the website and what is the bounce rate? Which is basically the percentage of visitors who enter the site and leave immediately rather than continuing to check out other pages within your website.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the third metric that you want to see is how many click throughs happened, which yeah. is what percentage of people are going into other web pages from this web page by clicking on different links. And finally, you want to see the number of form fills or shares or you know whatever objective you had set that final objective mm-hmm. how many of those happened right and the thing that interests me the most is the bounce rate and this is a major issue that most marketers would have faced at some point in their careers mm-hmm. and to reduce the bounce rate in a campaign we often try to change the marketing channels or ad copies thinking that maybe our relevant audience is not coming into the website because we often face bounce rates that are as high as 90 or 95%. Right. But you know, here's the, here's the thing. If, if 95% of people are bouncing off your website, sure, a small percentage of them might have been because they came in there by mistake, meaning your ad was targeting the wrong audience and the wrong person came, so if the content wasn't relevant to them and they left. Sure, some of that 95% could be because of that, but the large majority actually might have left because the content was simply not working for them. Like they were your relevant audience, but they left because the content was not working for them. Right. So the solution may actually be in figuring out what's happening on the website once they are in, And optimizing on the content and design, rather than thinking about, oh, maybe my ad was placed, you know, on a wrong channel, maybe, you know, the the LinkedIn ad that I placed is not the right place for me to keep the ad, Um, you know, so we may then want to have a deeper look into the engagement on the website. And today you have products in the market that can help you gauge the engagement on your web page so that you can then optimize your content. You can do things like heat maps to know which parts of the website are doing well. So, which parts of the website are the users really spending a lot of time on? You can actually um, deploy ABT. Tests of different versions of that same web page to find out which design and content work better You can also identify Which pages are boosting engagement which keywords are working better and which pages are adversely affecting it So you need to start focusing more I think on What's happening once they are once a user is on the website and not always blame it on, oh, the ad was bringing in the wrong people because chances are a lot of right people are coming to your website, are finding the content and the flow of the website not appealing or not relevant and are leaving. And some of these uh, you know uh, metrics and technologies like these heat maps and A-B tests that I mentioned can actually help you Come up with a solution uh, which which would involve changing the content or or design, and not necessarily with the digital marketing campaign uh, that you ran. Um, you know, and and finally, uh, e- even when you look at something like your follow up emails. So once someone has filled up um, a form on your webpage, and then you are sending follow up emails, again, you want to look at something like the open rate which Mm -hmm. could tell you how many people are you know opening the web uh, opening the email based on the subject line that you see but more importantly you want to see is the click-through rate of the email very low because maybe your follow-up email is not contextual to the campaign that you actually ran so so that could be as simple as you know in our smoothie example maybe we had run a campaign for the segment of people who are looking at cost-effective fruits but our follow-up email that was sent to them was actually on you know the other case of five berries needed for the weight loss so when you it that wouldn't be relevant to um the the, the specific campaign that that i mentioned um, right. and in in such a case they they're going to feel disengaged because they're going to go wait this, this was not what i came for So again, again, at this final stage of follow up, you can see how looking at these simple metrics can actually help us, um, you know, optimize the entire um, marketing cycle, right from the point that they're coming into the website to actually the part where you're, you know, following up uh, with the lead via email.
0: So uh, what what according to you are the mistakes or pitfalls that marketing teams are making when trying to optimize their content, because obviously now we've seen that, you know, we have to optimize our content as, as well as optimize other channels, but more importantly, optimize our content. But what could be the mistakes that they might be making while doing so?
1: Yeah, so I think, like we said, a lot of the times we view the problem from a digital marketing point of view rather than a content or engagement point of view. Uh, And to put it very simply, um, I think if you're looking, I think what a business does is that if they're looking to get 10 conversions, they try to generate 10,000 leads and then have a low conversion rate and get, you know, 10 conversions. So if you ask them to get 20 conversions, they think we need to generate 20,000 leads. But in reality, you know, maybe the problem is not in how many leads you're generating, but really you could do the same thing. Maybe you just generate 1,000 leads and then figure out a way by which you can convert 50 or 100 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, so that, that can happen only if, you're focusing on the content and analytics because you can always generate more leads by running more ads and and increasing the spending. But that funnel of actually converting those leads is the tougher part. And I think a lot of the times, businesses make the mistake of taking the easier way out where they think, oh, let me just get more leads into the funnel so that a few more will convert. But they're actually missing out, I think, on a bigger opportunity of, improving the conversion rates
0: right that that makes a lot of sense and since we've been speaking so much about content marketing and how to optimize content um i also think that psychology um, of your consumers plays a really big part of that and i've also seen that you are a big fan of uh, consumer behavior or human behavior in general and and mostly psychology so what role do you think um these factors play in content and how can we analyze it through analytics
1: i think you know um the psychology is definitely going to drive the decisions including buying decisions of any um customer Um, and in particular i just want to talk about one bias that we all have uh which is called the halo effect Which loosely means that our first impressions about something can influence our complete opinions about that thing, right? And if that impression, that first impression is positive, then we may view other aspects of that person or thing positively. So normally we see that if you know a very exuberant speaker goes up on stage and really captivates the audience in the first 30 seconds we are quite likely to view everything that they say for the next one hour very favorably because we formed a very good first impression in that in those first 30 seconds Uh, and you can see how this is very closely related to the idea of a bounce rate on a website so when someone first comes into your website and if they don't have that you know, that aha, this is what I was looking for moment that we um, discussed earlier. If they don't have that in that first 15 seconds, their first impression about your website is that, "Ah, this is just, you know, some, just another product. But if they, uh, on the contrary, if they they got exactly what they were looking for. So if the person who wanted to find cost-effective fruits and berries found exactly what they were looking for in those first ten seconds when they came onto your website, if that is the first thing that they saw, that they're just going to view everything else favorably. So, right. because first impressions matter so much, we need to make sure that our websites are optimized to have a very low bounce rate. Which means that the content has to be really relevant, um, and and what you are displaying to your you know your audience is exactly what they are looking for. Right.
0: Yeah, I think, and I also think that it goes much beyond content as well, right? I feel like, you know, the design of the website in general and also the colors that you use. So I was recently, um, I've just been revamping my website and um, what I realized is that color plays a very important role, especially when um, you're actually putting down those call to action buttons, you want the focus to go on that. So for example, you have uh, we have an e-commerce website and you have two call to action buttons. One is a buy now and one is an add to cart. Most often than not, you will see that the buy now button is more in a primary color and more appealing to the eye than the add to cart button because that's where the company wants you to click, right? So I also feel that design and especially if you can make your website um look very aesthetic and um you know you have your call to actions in a strategic place using a heat map as you had suggested knowing where people's eyes go most or where they are clicking most you have your call to actions in those um in those favorable areas um and you know you use Color wisely. I think that really makes a lot of difference. In fact, um, I was reading reading a Neil Patel article, and it says that color actually increases brand recognition by up to eighty percent, which is huge. Because, um, I mean most of the big companies that we remember we can associate with the color right for example if it's coca-cola we'll know it's red if it's dell we'll know it's blue if it's apple we'll know that you know the apple is black in color so um i, I only honestly feel that along with the content and the halo effect the color also makes a big difference especially considering the colors that your target audience might love you know for example most uh, most men and one third of the women that you probably ask would say that blue is their favorite color. So a lot of brands sort of end up using blue. So I also feel that this plays a huge role. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's a good example um, of the halo effect because if someone really likes blue that much and if they see something in blue they are okay. quite likely to view that brand favorably because they like blue you know they, they're almost like they've tricked themselves because they like blue so they just like anything associated with blue um and i think yeah these are uh, small psychological um effects that brands have to use and and you can definitely leverage these things when it comes to content and web design uh to to really make sure that at every you know you're really optimizing your entire um website and content
0: definitely so what companies according to you have leveraged this halo effect well
1: um so i think that To be honest, I think the companies that do it the best, are the ones that rather than looking at just like the color or some of these other um, elements uh, to it, the ones that have impressed me the most are the ones that are able to give exactly what the user is looking for and using that as a way to create that best first impression. Uh, So, in fact, you were talking a lot about HubSpot um, Mm -hmm. and I think that they did, you know, such a good job because A lot of the times when you want to learn as a marketer, you want to learn about email marketing and you just go on Google and search about email marketing, chances are you come across one of HubSpot's blogs. Mm -hmm. And what that does is that the halo effect kicks in because that's the first thing I read when I read about email marketing. Now subconsciously, I'm just associating email marketing with HubSpot already. So in this case, the content has proven to be that first impression and because of that I just view the brand and the product favorably which which really goes to show how powerful content can be when, when it comes to creating that that brand for your product.
0: Right. right. That, that makes a lot of sense and uh, I completely agree with your point about the halo effect. I definitely faced it when it came to HubSpot, I almost considered buying. Um, so definitely I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so what is the biggest success story that, uh, you know, of a brand using content analytics and data and what are your learnings from that particular success story?
1: Right. So I think, you know, this is actually a, a reasonably famous example. Um, and it's, it's more to do with just the analytics part. And I think we can all learn a very important lesson from it, um, which is that, the ideal analytics process should never work in silos, but rather it should tie into the entire marketing and sales cycle to drive growth. So the example that I'm talking about is that of uh, the social media giant Facebook. So during the early stages of growth, um, Facebook came across a big problem, which was that a lot of the users who signed up for Facebook um, were not using Facebook after they signed up. So they would sign up, create an account because it was free, but they would just not use it. And that obviously is not good for a social media company's business model, which Definitely. really thrives only if more people register and are active on it because they had plans, of course, to sell targeted ads in the future. So the growth team of Facebook went through a lot of data and they came across an important finding, which was that if a person who creates an account adds 10 friends in that first session of creating an account they are then very likely to keep coming back to use facebook in the future and of course if they don't add 10 friends it means that they are never going to log in again right so the growth team identified this from the large volume of mm-hmm. data that they had and you know I think this is where it's it's so important for the growth team to be proactive and not just limit their function to just you know that, uh, that like digital marketing or content marketing but actually have the you know um, ability to go to the product management team and tell them that hey you know what the reason why we are not growing is less to do with marketing and more to do with a small glitch in our product and they right. came up with a recommendation that you know what, try to use the the data that we have about our users, their location, their university, their school, their workplace, to give them friend suggestions so that as soon as they sign up, they might see people who are on Facebook that they know. And by doing so, they will then see the value in the Facebook uh, platform. So once I've signed up my account, I see, friends from my school friends from my high school and college and then I go oh uh, you know like tejas on Facebook or you know uh, people who I have maybe even forgotten about I see them and I get excited and I add them um, as a friend and that makes it more likely that I stay so in this case you know the solution had less to do with you know, let's make a change with marketing because they didn't have an issue with that. They, they were obviously marketing it well and a lot of people were signing up, but they really had the strategic sense to say, you know what, the problem isn't a marketing problem, but it really ties back to the product. And by making a small change in the product, we can actually drive growth. And I think for me um, as, as a marketer, this was the biggest lesson for me because it taught me not to view marketing and content as limited to just running these campaigns, but actually go deep into the domain and the business and and see how can I as a marketer add value even to the sales team, even to the um, customer facing teams or to the product development teams. And and I used to try to uh, use any inputs and data that I had as a marketer to go back and speak to the product management team, to speak to the developers, uh, and and offer them suggestions on what changes they could make to the product, to so that it then resonates with the audience. So you know the the the, the funny thing is that the the biggest lesson for me from uh, from this was that don't view marketing itself as as just marketing, uh, but but use it as a way to um, you know uh, help the business throughout the entire product and sales cycle.
0: Right and. I think this is such a powerful example. It's a very good reminder to all of us marketers, we in our day to day so many times just forget, um, you know, we we are so focused on getting our um, conversions and our metrics in place that we actually forget that there's a deeper level of research that goes into everything that we plan, like we need to talk to our customers, we need to talk to the customer facing team, we need to talk to the sales team, like you said, we need to talk to the product team. And I think this is uh, this is a very important point that you've brought up and a, a lot of times we do forget that. So, um, but apart from this learning, do you want to share one more learning with us that your time in the digital marketing industry has taught you um, that you'd like to share with everyone listening to this podcast, especially brands that are trying to come up at this point.
1: Yeah, so I mean, for sure, the example that we already discussed on, you know, how the ana- the analytics process and the marketing process must be, um, you know, tied back to. The other functions like sales and product management is is definitely one lesson. Uh, But I think, you know, um, one thing that I learned in my time as a marketer um, was was actually that marketing itself, while of course content and and some aspects of content and branding have, you know, fancy or, or sexy elements to them. I think the entire process of running a marketing function should be seen less as a very flamboyant thing and more as a very rigorous methodical process um you know and and i'm not trying to be old school here because uh in fact when i got into marketing i went in as oh you know what marketing is all about like like fun and and you know the marketers are the are the coolest people um in the business and and that is true i'm not i'm not denying that um but like i think too much you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I think that the process of marketing needs to be thought of in a very structured, methodical way. It is all about numbers. It is all about looking at insights, making informed decisions, doing things like A-B testing. It, it is not so much a gut feel thing that, oh, I think this page looks great and it will work great, but rather, okay, I think this looks great, but let me also try a plan Option B, run an A-B test for the first one week and then find out which is actually performing better and then run that going forward. You know, so I think it's it's a lot of it is it's it's it should be structured. It should be methodical. Um, and, And I think, yeah, running that that was probably the one thing that I've learned about growth, which is that, you know, don't view it as like, you know, some cool thing that we do to acquire hundreds of thousands of users but to achieve that you actually need that um it, it is a strategic thing it is a rigorous thing it is not about that one line that changed the brand but it's more about the hundred lines that you tried to drill down to the one line that worked really well um you know uh, it is it, it is all the hard work of the content team the digital marketing team the analytics team uh, all of it coming together uh, to drive growth so so yeah that, i think that was that was the biggest um, lesson that i learned
0: that's very interesting so i think by oversimplifying it might i say that you're suggesting that marketers actually leave aside their bias of what they think is working well or is looking good and actually Look at the data and talk to people to actually understand and be methodical about the entire process to know exactly 100% what works according to the data and not according to their personal uh, thinking and bias.
1: Oh, absolutely that that's exactly what i meant so i think it's like there are elements to marketing and branding where yes you need to be spontaneous and so i think those are the parts of marketing that definitely are uh, they are very fun of course and and have this, this sort of um sexy elements to it but i think the overall process of running a marketing function and driving growth shouldn't be viewed as something that is you know like 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 this magic wand that some flamboyant uh, marketer comes into the room and has just changed the course of the brand but rather that no they, they come and come up with a clear plan that they want to execute over weeks look at the data and optimize um, do the reiterations um, and then yeah and and you know grow the brand that way
0: right So this has been an extremely uh, riveting conversation that we've had today, Sid. And um, thank you so much for all the pointers that you've provided today. Um, So just to reiterate, um, I would say that some of the major points that we covered today were that, one, um, there is a disproportionate focus on digital marketing versus content marketing. And we really need to be looking into what is the kind of content that we are making and whether the reason for a really high bounce rate is uh, actually the content that is there on the website that you're giving to probably the right kind of customers who are coming to your website. Um, Another thing that we covered today was about evangelizing and how you need to be solving customer problems and that's how you know you can recognize good content is when it's actually solving a customer's problem and providing some sort of value instead of just being very salesy and saying we are the best at that or we're the best at something else. Um, and. Um, we also covered something very interesting in psychology, um, with the, with respect to the halo effect, um, talking about how just one really good, um, headline or a really good piece of content could actually really convert you towards the brand and make you trust the brand, give, give the brand a lot of credibility and thus, um, would lead to higher conversions. Um, and also. We also spoke about, um, just now we just spoke about the Facebook example of how we need to be um, talking to every team in our department, we need to be talking about the product, uh, we need to be talking to the product team, we need to be talking to the sales team, to the customers, to the customer facing teams to actually bring in all of that data and make good insights, leaving aside biases and making a real difference to our brands. Um, So I'm so excited because we've learned so much today. Uh, but unfortunately what we missed out on is knowing a lot more about you. So I'm just going to ask you three, would you rather questions and we're going to get to know you a lot better. So are you, are you prepared for that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, what better way to get to know me? Go go ahead.
0: (laughs) Great. So the first question is, would you rather be a founder and entrepreneur or be a part of the first team of employees of a startup?
1: Um. I I guess I would rather be, I would rather be a founder or entrepreneur to, to have like my complete, like my stamp on the project. Uh, But to be honest, both sound equally fun. Um, But yeah, I guess being a founder or entrepreneur does have its, um, you know, extra glory associated with it, I guess.
0: So would you be going into the tech industry as a founder or entrepreneur, or are you thinking about some other industry?
1: Oh, to be honest, I would like to look at um, an industry outside of tech because I was already in tech for a bit. But I think it's also today most businesses inevitably are tech enabled. So even if you want to get into food or you want to get into, um, you know, I don't know, it could be travel or something like that. Most of the apps or products that you build are anyway tech enabled. So I think it's almost impossible today um, to be a founder of a company and, and not have tech involved in the business
0: right cool so the second question that i have is actually a very fun one um and it's not related to work at all <laughs> so would you rather constantly have changing outfits or changing hairstyles so um, if your hairstyles change your outfits can't change but if your outfits change your hairstyle can never change
1: wow okay this is a tough one because uh, most people who know me will say that neither my outfits nor my hairstyle has changed for like the 25 years I've been on this planet. Yes. So I it would be quite easy for me to give up either. But I'm gonna say, yeah, I I guess I could, you know, uh, give up uh changing changing my hairstyle. Yeah, that that's that's perfectly fine. Okay, so
0: you would rather have changing outfits. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And lastly, would you rather like to know the future and change your present or have the power to go back and correct your mistakes in the past.
1: Um, well, I, I'm not, I don't want to go back and correct the mistakes in my past because I feel like that, that would be like a pretty big process to begin with. It would it would it would take a lifetime to do that. So yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Let, let let's go with the first option.
0: Know the future and change the present.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. It's been such a wonderful experience having you here with us, Sid. And I've had a very, very good time. Um, And I'm going to have to bid you adios now because, um, you know, our time is ending. And I really hope that all our listeners are able to enjoy our conversation and garner all the insights that we've collected today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Priyanka. I had a great time.
0: Would you like to um, tell everyone where they can find you or connect with you?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's Siddharth Sharat Kumar. Um, I'm reasonably active these days. So that would be the best place for uh, anyone to reach out. So I do take up freelance projects around marketing strategy for, uh, for especially for tech companies and early stage startups. So um, if anyone is looking to collaborate or work on you know, growing a business at an early stage, uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, Siddharth space, Sharath space, Kumar is my name. Um, So yeah, it shouldn't be too hard finding me.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Sid, and have a great day.
1: Yeah. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. And that's it for today, everyone. We hope that this episode brought you the tools you need to get closer to your marketing goal. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. We would also love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions. Send them all our way on businessqueries at yoursdigitally.com That's businessqueries at yoursdigitally.com Have a great day and see you next week.